Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night shir. Tonight we're dedicating the Nishmas, the yard site. Shmuel Yaakov and Meisha, Loshon, Shmuel Fink. First yard site tonight. A fine man. A nice man. A kind man, a good father. Perfect eulogy. He's the perfect eulogy. For the rabbi that needs to make a, a eulogy for somebody, he would be the perfect eulogy because everything is, every check is checked off. Tzedakah went to shul, the minion, learned Tereshir, you name it, you name it. God likes the nice ones up there. Said so 63 years old last year, he passed away from his short after a short battle with ALS. We had the source of knowing Shmuel many many years, Baruch Hashem, as a neighbor, as a friend. When he couldn't go out of the house really anymore. We used to try to make a minion in the house for him and his house. We try to make it as lively, as lively as possible to boost his spirit, his morale. And we'd sing and dance by the Chodedi. He never couldn't even stand up. So we made the circle by him. We took it two people, each one took his hand and he never just picked his feet up and down that was his dancing with us never to disappoint people never to let people down the shul on the block on Shemaisa was built for for Shapiro Rabbi Shapiro passed away very young as well and the neighbors and friends took to that shul. Shmuel was a pillar of the shul, always helping with something. Everybody knew. As long as Shmuel was able to, he helped. A very, very fine chsidish man. Tenish May his neshama have an aliyah. His wife, children, be able to understand and cope with the grief. Hashem should give them kayak. We should be zeichah today already to the neviyas of Kitzvaran Mosheikh Neofar where all those that have passed away will once again stand up and sing and dance. And Mashiach Tzikainu will take us all to Yerushalayim in HaKadosh. Gizun Tehet.
Now turn our focus to our regular shear. Also, by the way, given the, the dedication we did last week, the Rivkula, the Shalom, little girl, Pasman Ahmed Lakayan, saying that to overcome their terrible loss, family in Brazil. We focus now to the Parsha, Parsha Shavua. Parsha Shmeis, we embark on the new Chumash of Shmeis. Chumash called Chumash Seda Geula. Although it begins with the Golos, it begins with Golos Mitzrayim. But still, it's still called Sefer Gula. Because it's in this Sefer, what's the mainstay point of the whole Sefer, is the Gula, where they leave Mitzrayim. Where they didn't leave Golos. Mitzrayim is a word, Metzaryam. It comes from Mitzorim. From boundaries, restrictions. Each and every person, each and every Yid, has their restrictions that they restricted within themselves. The restrictions of which we are held back to or imposed upon or imposed upon us. We need to be able to overcome them. We need to be able to surpass them. We need to not allow our personal Golos Mitzrayim to dictate our lives. We need to be able to shine. We need to be able to bring out the best of ourselves and the best of our neighbors, the best of our friends, the best of our relatives. And it's so hard, especially when it comes to a friend that you know so long, you always can find a fault in them. A relative, a brother, a sister, a cousin, whoa, they can sometimes be the worst of the people, the lowest of the low. And our obligation is to find the good in each and every person, to embrace it and to carry it, and to be able to say, we are one, the Jewish nation is one, And therefore, I look past, I bury any hard feelings that I had or have with anyone or anything. It's a tremendous madrega. It's a tremendous level to reach, to achieve. 
but one needs to shoot for the stars and perhaps, perhaps they'll get to the top of a building but if one only shoots for the first floor they usually don't get out of the basement the first thing the first episode that took place with the Golos of Mitzrayim Vayimoraru es chayeihem ba'avida kosho he embittered their lives with hard labor. How? Making bricks, all of the field work. The first menial and treacherous task imposed upon the Yidden was the making of bricks. And on this, the Torah actually mentions, this embittered their lives. This was considered Aveda Kosha, and all the Aveda Basada. If we keep your score at home, it's Gemara Msech the Seite Yeralu from the Beis. 11, side 2. The Gemara says, Batchila, in the beginning, Bechemer Abulvenim. They had to only build these bricks and these mortars. It was safe in the end. They ended up everything in the field. And the Medish as well, when it expounds on how the actual servitude took place, fell into place, also makes reference to the Levenim. Parai just said, you know what? You people are intelligent. I need bricks. Could you make them for me, please? And they were very happy to do it. And he took and he gave them all the material and they made. And then he would say to the Jews, Asu imi hayyim b'tayva. Do for me today good. He did a good job. And he was working with them. And when they even saw the king himself working with them, building these bricks, they all came and joined in. And they put in and they invested all their strength. At the end of the day, Parai turns around and says, I want such production every day. This was a great day. I want this every day like this. Every point of the Tata, every little idea enumerated in the Tata has a deep meaning to it, a deeper meaning to it. So then what do we find in this concept that the Levenim that the bricks were the beginning of the servitude. Out of all the other jobs that they needed to do, where the bricks come in so pertinent? There's a cloud, a generalization. The service of a yid, 
the Aved of a Yid in this world is lastly Dira B'yaz Baruch B'tachtenim. Lastly, it's Baruch Dira B'tachtenim. To make a dwelling place for the Almighty God. To build a home for HaKadosh Baruch in this world. A house can be built either from stone or from brick. Okay, you're going to tell me it can be built from wood as well. When you want it solid though, either from brick or from stone. What's in essence the difference between a brick and a stone? What meets the straight and narrow mind, what meets what we call the naked eye, a stone is made by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is made by God, created the world, the heaven and the earth, and created the stones. At the time, there were no bricks. Bricks later on were taken by the human person, and they put together all the different material needed for it, and they made bricks. Till today you have brick makers, and different qualities. You have finer bricks, you have lesser quality bricks, different color bricks, red, red bricks, white bricks. These are all made, handmade, human being makes this. So when it comes to the stone which was created by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Jew needs to use this for his house or for the Beis HaMikdosh. It needed to be shaped. Because the stone is not made like a brick which is made in a certain form, but rather it's made, it's, it's natural. It's nature. And as nature, it's a big you can have large stones, smaller stones. Some can be rounder, some can be sharper, some like different, all different types of stones. In the Beis Hamikdash, they had to round out the stones to use them for the walls. For the Mizbeach, though, you could not touch with, with metal. So there was a certain worm that was used to shave the, the bricks down, the, the stones down. But a stone, you just need to form it. A diamond is a stone. A rough diamond has very little value, actually. It's only when the artist makes the diamond into a certain shape does it take its value. If it has a flaw inside it, not always seen by the naked eye, it's less valuable. A flawless diamond is a diamond that's created by God, but the person, the artisan that deals with diamonds makes it into what it is, what it should be, what one wants it to be. You can have heart-shaped diamonds, and then you have the other, all different types. 
I don't need to tell you. For one reason, I don't know. But we know what a diamond looks like. Halta diamond. Oh, this is a diamond. In comes the cubic zirconia, and then you say, uh oh. Us don't know the difference between the cubic and the diamond. No, no. Adrab. But we don't have any say in the matter as to how that stone originally should look. Whereas on the flip side, when it comes to the bricks, the person takes the material for the bricks and he mixes up the straw or whatever it has to go into it, then puts it into an oven and bakes it. He makes a Matthias. He turns this material into an actual item, something that we use. He didn't do that with the rock, with the stone. He made the rock into a shape, but he didn't make the rock its essence. Here he made the actual essence of the brick. Spiritually. Spiritually speaking, we also fall into these two categories. When one uses worldly items and makes them for the service of God, he's making a house of stones. For HaKadosh Baruch The worldly items, the bricks that he, that he makes. But when he takes Avonim, stones, which is also physical, where HaKadosh Baruch created them directly, he's making a base Mikdash. A base Mikodesh. Mikodesh. He's making a home from holy items. And then there's a higher level when it comes to service of God. The person doesn't always necessarily manage to bring out the spiritual holiness of an item. person creates an item, they make something that's in the realm of the physical world. He takes something that's worthless and makes it something that's worth that's worth something, that's value. As we spoke before about the diamond. And the same with this, uh, the material that one uses to build a brick. He takes the what's in essence something that would be bad and makes it into good. Something that was useless till now and now makes it useful. He takes the darkness of the world and he illuminates it. He creates bricks. He makes a new creation in the world. Which is created through the service of a person himself. This is the spiritual connotation when it comes to the actual levenim, the bricks. And this is therefore why this was the beginning of the exile. 
the Teda is implying that the main Aveda in Zman HaGolos, the time of the Golos is, and we know the first exile, the first Golos was Mitzrayim, the first Aveda is making the bricks. Turning over what's not good of the world and making it to good. This is a preparation which is fit for redemption. Fit for Gula. Will you turn over the Metzias of this world? Even though now it's dark and it's Klippa and in the Lassad Lovei Dafke here in this world HaKadosh Baruch Hu will come to dwell and the night will shine like the day as David Melech says in Tehillim and all this will be done through the Aveda of Chaymer and Levenim the Chaymer and Levenim that we do in this day in this generation the last generation of exile the first generation of Geula, this is all our work and toil for the preparation of the coming of Mashiach, the God of Mamish. Meshir Abena was born. Hmm? Meshe Rabbeinu was born and in the house they saw that he was Tev. Chazal revealed to us that, that Meshe Rabbeinu was born on Zion Other. He also passed away on Zion Other. If you keep his score at home, the Gemara Megillah, Yud Gimel Amit Beis, tells us that Haman HaRasha made a girdle, made a lottery. In this lottery he wanted to see which month of the year the Jews would be most vulnerable. And the lottery fell out on Chedesh Odor. And he was so happy. He said, Nafali Pur my lottery came out in the month that Mesha died. But little unbeknownst to him, that on that same day, on the seventh month, seventh day of the month of other, Mesha was born. And Rashi says about his mistake, about Haman's mistake. The birth was worthy to forgive for the passing, for the death. So from the words of the Gemara, it looks like that the day of the passing was perhaps a loophole for the decree of Haman. The only thing he didn't know, his mistake was that he didn't know he was born that day. And Yem Haleidah Mechapra Yem Amisa. 
The day of the birth forgives on the day of the passing. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> Comes a question. We say, Kehelis, it says, it says, Tev Yemam Moves It's better the day the person passes away when better than the day he was born. And the Medish explains what's so good about the day of the person's passing, better than the person's birth, because when he's born, it's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. We don't know what's going to become of this person, where they'll end up. When they pass away as a tzaddik, we know that they left the world in peace. Yotzim in Eilam B'Sholem, Shlema Melech says. In that case, what is the plus of the birthday over the passing? We just explained just the opposite. When a person is born, we have no idea what they are, who they are. When they pass away, the eulogies are more powerful than the birthday. You have you come to a bris. Like every time, any Jewish occasion, a bris, a bar mitzvah, wedding, this talking, the speeches, one speech, another speech, a third speech, and then Achmanos, you come to a funeral, there's again speeches. The speeches by the bris were what we anticipate, what we pray for, what we look forward to for this child. Whereas by the funeral, the eulogy, we look back. We reflect on who and what this person is and was. What the person actually accomplished in this world. What they left behind. What legacy did they build? But generally, by the eulogy, very rarely do we hear somebody being reamed out. We tend to find by the eulogy all the most unique and best qualities of the person. Nobody wants to talk bad about a person that passed away. Usually. Usually. The only thing is, not the only thing, most importantly, we need to be very careful by eulogies. When a person has a boy has a bar mitzvah, a person gets married, and we talk and we praise, we praise the boy, we praise the chasen, we praise the kala. So good I, they're not as special as you just said. They have what to aspire for. They have what to work on. They have what to live up to. Whereas if a person passed away, if anything extra is said in positive vein, of course, which was not 100% true, that person can't fix it. He's dead. 
And he has nothing that he can do anymore. Whatever he can do in Elam Abba is only Ashrim Yishibolakan Vitabundi Biyadi. How wonderful it is for the person they announce in Bezna Shemaila. How wonderful for the person that comes here with his Talmud in hand, with all that he learned, carrying all what he learned with him. That's all we can do. We can't enhance anything any longer. There's no tweaking. There's no repairing. There's no polishing. So when one is given a, a eulogy, one needs to be very, very careful to literally be very precise because in Bezna Shalmaya they ask you, hey, they just said this about you. Can you show me when that happened? How that happened? In the Babich we don't give eulogies. Best thing ever. Besides the funerals go faster. We don't eulogize just for that reason. Because someone is always going to embellish. Someone is always going to jump the gun. Say something that's a slight exaggeration. And Achman al-Islam, what that does to, for the Nishama. But we find by Meshir Rabbeinu something more spe- even sp- more special than others. Other tzaddikim. When Moshe Rabbeinu was born, we just said, "Vateda In the house, they saw how beautiful it was. In the Yemara, if you keep your score at home, Seita Yedbezim at Aleph. The Yemara tells us, "Bishashenelad Moshe, his When Moshe was born, the entire house was filled with light. Bias, of course, the house refer, makes is reference to the body, the human body, which houses the neshama. And by Moshe's birth, immediately as he was born, it was noticeable, not just noticeable, but totally obvious, how his bias, his physical body, was already filled with light. Generally, the body, the physical body, hides the soul, hides the neshama. And therefore, the mission of a person in his lifetime is to drive away, to take away all these hidden obstacles of the goof and reveal the neshama. This is therefore the plus, the flip side of the Passing the day of the passing. Greater than the day of the birth. Because then we know if the person re- was successful in the mission that he needed to embark upon to enlighten, to bring the light of his neshama and to wipe away all the the mundane qualities. However, by Meshach Rabbeinu, there was no improving. There was no polishing. There was no impro- no reason to make it better than it was. Water. As soon as he was born, they saw Kitay. This was perfect. 
Therefore, we say by Moshe Rabbeinu, where although by him as well it was also the Yisrim Yemamavis Ayyemaleda, the greater of the day of passing than the day of his birth, the greatness was that on the day that he was born, we saw all his greatness. But he hadn't brought it into fruition. When did the fulfillment, when did he complete the Aveda Meshirabeinu? Only when he was in Stalik. At that point we saw how he applied everything and accomplished and completed everything. This too, by him, by Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore there is an extra special concept when he was born over the passing. Because the light of his neshama was without boundary, was with no change. This light showed itself through because this neshama came from a very, very high source. And therefore there was no hiding it, no matter what goof. So now we understand why Moshe Rabbeinu's birth deterred the decree of Haman. The day of his passing has a negative connotation to it. In that, no longer alive in this world. And therefore we can sympathize almost or understand the decree of Haman, how he wanted to make on the day of the passing of Mesha. But since Mesha was, was born in this month, therefore, It was fit for that birth, for it forgave on the on the passing. The birthday forgave and took away the entire negativity of the day of his passing. The day of his birth. Meisha Rabbeinu showed a tremendous, strong, never-ending soul. Whereas later on in his life, throughout his life, when he started Avedas Meisha, you didn't see until the later years was the shine in his face was too strong to look at even. Whereas at Kufu, you didn't see exactly this greatness of Meisha. But the actual light did not change because of any outside element or any outside exposure. And the concept of Meshir Abinu Meis, Meshir Abinu passed away, didn't have an actual effect on his Nishama. And the continuity, the perpetuality 
that he gives into the generations of generations of Klal Yisrael is living testimony to that. Chol each and every generation has is Pashtusu the Meshav Chol Dar Vadara. Meshav in his effect or existence is found in each and every generation. And we, of course, bring that to life with our study of Teda. Pari declares, Kol habein ha-yeiret ha-shlichu v'chol habas t'chayun. Every boy that's born should be cast into the Nile. Every daughter you should make live. T'chayun, you should make live. So the first glance, it seems that the decree was against the boys born to B'nai Yisrael and not the girls. In that case, why add anything about the girls even? Don't say anything. That's all. You want the boys killed because he heard from his stargazers that the Savior of the Jews will suffer through water. His demise will be through water. And therefore he felt that taking the, the Savior when he's born and drowning him, putting him in the water is what his demise will be. It'll just take a little earlier. And once he, once he does away with him, he's good to go. No, no, redeem, no redemption. In that case, why add the fact that you should keep alive the girls? But if Pari said it, and he said it in the same breath, the same sentence that he said about the boys' decree, you know there's something evil involved. Pare was looking for one thing and one thing only. To stop the growth and continuity of the Jewish people. And therefore he decrees that half the children born to Menei Yisrael should be annihilated physically, and the other half spiritually. The boys physically thrown into the river, the, the Nile, and the girls should be educated. He didn't say allow them to live, he told them make them live. The very Egyptians that are murdering the Jewish boys physically should instill their very Egyptian values, lifestyle, into the surviving children, the girls, thereby physically annihilating the males and spiritually annihilating on the females. And that's why the first decree. The first decree to drown the boys in the Nile has a similar message as well. Egypt was not a very um, seasonal country. 
you didn't have really the other, the, all the different seasons. You didn't have a rain season very often. It rained very rarely, rarely actually in Egypt. And therefore they had to rely on the waters of the Nile to irrigate their crops, etc. It was literally their sustenance. And we see the story of Yaakov Avinu, he blessed that the Nile should rise up for Pari. Therefore Pari made himself a deity. Because the water would rise up to him and would wash down the land. So accordingly, when he says, drown the Jewish boys in the Nile, he could even be speaking metaphorically. Immerse them into our values, our culture, our lifestyle, our secular surroundings. And therefore, if he has a proper secular education, and he's properly groomed, he'll be able to grow up and be successful in the world. There's a tremendous um, movement today to upgrade in the yeshivas the secular studies. As a matter of fact, they want to start with the secular studies. Because they're depriving the children of livelihood. They're depriving the children of any kind of future. Because they're not getting the proper secular studies. It's crucial we recognize this approach is that of Pari. Those who seek to destroy the Jewish growth and continuity, not physically, but spiritually. In order to give our sons and daughters a Jewish life, a proper life, the education needs to be the true livelihood, the life of Tera, Tera's Chaim. If down the line they want to become a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it might be, and there's complaint that they're not well versed enough in Galileo, in Columbus, in all the other philosophers, Aristotle, all these such cultured people and therefore they don't have the finesse or the qualities that are needed or simply speaking they might have the credits but they're not well versed enough they don't read well enough they don't do math well enough this is not the fault of the school by the way this most part is the fault of the parent who says it's not important. Focus on your Gemara better. Child comes home to do math homework. The, parents, the parent himself doesn't know it, so they tell the children, ah, Sigunish, leave it alone. And they blame the school why the child doesn't know math. Shane Meissen. Education to save the nation 
is Teiras Chaim. We need to see to it that our children are well versed in Teira. And in Teira you have all the Chachmas, all the maths and all the sciences. They're all in, all in, in, all in Teira, in Gemara, etc. Moshe became frightened and said, Oi, this has become known. And as soon as he said that, Vayishma Pari. Pari heard about it. Pari hears about it. And therefore, Vayivakish not against Moshe. He wanted to kill Moshe. Vayivrach Moshe mipneparai Moshe ran for his life. When Moshe discovered that people knew he'd killed the Egyptian taskmaster, he became fearful for his own future. Parai learned about it a little later, and Taka looked to have him killed for it. With this episode, the Taylor tells us the tremendous power of Bitochen. Complete trust in God's goodness and grace. Having Bitochen, having this belief, it's more than just believing that God orchestrates every detail of existence every moment. And therefore, I believe that whatever happened to me will be for the best, because God's hand is that way. The token is that you have total trust that God will grant you the goodness in the most obvious sense of the word. How can you be so confident that God is going to bless you with revealed good? Taylor promises clearly the reward for them, those who are worthy and the punishment for those who are not. So how do I know what I'm going to get? I, I, I know I have to be worthy. I have to be a tzaddik. If I'm not a tzaddik, I'm not going to get. I did not Aveda. I'm not going to get anything. Dover Melech says he who trusts in God, kindness will encompass him. Abateach Vashem, Sevenu, Chesed Sevenu. Which means, even if a person is not worthy on his own accord, the trust draws down this kindness of Hashem. It's brought down on those that trust in God. Why? The concept, the mere fact that the person is so trustworthy of God makes him worthy of God's blessings. So if a person genuinely trusts 
that he got, he's in God's hands, and not, God forbid, subjected to any kind of limit, natural limitations, then he can be certain that God will guard him, provide for him, in a revealed way. Even if he's not necessarily a tzaddik. Even if he's done wrong things in life. Quoting the Tzamech Tzaddik's famous advice, Teracht gut, gut. Think positive, it will be positive. And here the Torah is alluding to just this betachin by telling us Meisha's worries. Because Meisha had these worries, which was before he was threatened for his life, but because he had the worries, it brought it into fruition. It contributed to the outcome. Had Mesha not been afraid, the threat to his life would never have materialized. And we have this on a daily basis in our lives. My mother-in-law is she live and be well for many, many, many more years. Further than 120, she deserves it. She would say, we need to be careful what we say, because a malach passes and says, Amen. And therefore, we need to be very, very careful how we say something. Very careful how we think something. There are times where people that we care for, that we are connected to, that we love, we drive them away with a wedge because of something that we thought or said. We need to embrace, we need to keep them closer. And we need to always think positively about it. Not positive thinking, but thinking positive that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has everything under control. And then, This fact has become known. When the Jews left Egypt, this became the birth of the Jewish nation. We became chosen by God to be His nation. What they do? If you listen in the archives, you'll hear. I explained in the first pasuk of Shemais the different virtues that the merits that the Jews actually had, which in those merits the Jews left Egypt. But the fact of the matter is that many of them were very, very lowly drawn to the actual Avedizara. So what made them God's nation? By God's choice. It's not, it's unlike a regular decision which you base on the qualities, the object a person selected, pure choice. Pure choice is, 
you select between different options that basically are equal merit. And therefore one is chosen over the other not necessarily has to do with its qualities. This is why it's possible for B'nai Yisrael in Egypt to be chosen by God and therefore redeemed despite the lowly spiritual state at the time. Yet when Moshe discovered that there were people talking Lash and Hara, this was a problem. Here he became alarmed. He became alarmed. Is this even possible? That Eden spoke Lash and Hara? Because if they did, they're not going out of Golos. Lashon Hara is the lowest of low. It would literally take away our schus to leave Golos. Where did Mesha see this being worse than any other sin that Eden were doing? The uniqueness of Lashon Hara is the divisiveness. When one speaks Lashon Hara, slander about somebody else, in addition to just causing tension between people, when one gossips about another person's deficiencies, and the gossiper therefore is showing that they lack any kind of empathy towards that person. Even if you don't really want to cause the person harm, just talking about them, God forbid, you're causing horrific, horrific repercussion. So now we understand the cause of Mesh's alarm and concern when he found out there were tail-bearers, as they called him, people talking Lashon Hara amongst B'nai Yisrael. God chose the Jews as His nation. And this was not contingent on any virtues the Jews had. But one thing God wanted, His unit to be one. Not a group of isolated individuals, and therefore Moshe was worried that Lashon Hara, which causes divisiveness, will separate the Jews, break up the, uh, the unity, break up that consistency that made us one nation, that caused us to be chosen. Even if they didn't have any other qualities. Being B'nai Yisrael, the nation, this is what we were zeicher, to merit, to go out of Mitzrayim. The fact that the Yidin started to count Svira, they were told they're going to receive the Teda. And this was something that excited them to such a level 
that they literally counted every moment coming towards Matanteda. It was this merit, this chus, that merited them to leave Mitzrayim. And therefore, when it came to any kind of strife between people, why will you hit this person? Says he did not hit him. He lifted his arm up to him. This in itself is already a sin. One may not lift a hand to another Jew. Never mind hit them. Never mind talk to them, curse them out. Never mind swear at them. Never mind blaspheme them. Never mind talk about them behind their backs. This is not our position. This is not what makes us Klal Yisrael. We need to see to it that we live a life of unity. A life of unity where we see to help reach out and unite with one another so that there's no strife, there's no inner strife, there's no pain, there's no hate, and therefore we need to develop that ultimate Avas Yisrael, unconditional love for a fellow Jew, and thereby, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our father, sees how his children are united unconditionally, he too, will have to unite with us and will take us to Yerushalayim, Yerakadosh, this very Shabbos, as we start Sefer Agula, Shabbat Shalom to all.